Are you the type of person who wants to champion other people? Because you're going to go from a technician making cookies to a cheerleader, a counselor, a problem solver for people's businesses. And so it's serious. It's way more serious than making sure somebody gets to do a snickerdoodle. Hmm. It's legit. They're putting things on the line and they're saying, hey, I'm probably going to invest six figures in your business system and you're my support person, my team, my brand. So I want to make sure that the DNA of that person, they're ready to flip that philosophical cap from going from, hey, I'm making stuff and I'm the entrepreneur making stuff to, hey, I've made it and other people are using it. This is Digital Marketing. Everyone, this is Mark DeGrasse, the president of Digital Marketer, and this is the podcast that keeps you up to date on everything you need to know when it comes to digital marketing, from the platforms you be focused on to the kind of checks and tools that are working today. Today, our guest is Kevin Oldham, the CEO of DeFactory, and also the podcast host for Franchise My Business. And he's a franchise owner uh, three times over. Is that right, Kevin? We'll dig into that. I'm actually, a franchise, I'm actually a franchisor, so I've never owned franchise a franchise. Franchisor, okay, yeah, I screwed mm-hmm. that up yep. entirely. Yep. That's all right, that's all right, man. That's all right. Thanks for having all me right. on Let's the show, I deeply appreciate it. Hey, you know, it was great meeting you. You know, uh, we met down at the Commitment Summit uh, by Hype Digital and the Hype family, uh, and we love them here at Digital Marketer. Uh, so it was great to meet you. You know, I think we kind of hit it off right off the bat, and I was like, ah, this guy, this guy says <laughs> stuff. So it's this awesome guy. to have you on. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, all pleasure's all here, man. I'm excited to talk about franchising and digital marketing and all sorts of cool stuff for, for the audience. Awesome. Well, we don't usually talk about franchising. So why don't we just kind of start with, uh, you know, what's the state of franchising today? Does franchising still work? How does it work? Uh, How did you get into it? Let's we'll start with how I got into it. So um, just by luck, honestly, it's one of those things where uh, one day I was running a, a, an agency not as heavy digital back in 2005 and 2006. And frankly, I was lazy looking to hire somebody. And so I like looked up a job description that basically was for me. And I found a job that was super curious because I'm like, this is me. So I actually applied (laughs) and I got the job and it was for a franchisor of real estate offices. And so that's where I got the bug and um, did that for about eight years. It's called United um, Real Estate Group. We had three franchise brands, uh, United Real Estate, which is, uh, you know, major metropolitan area um, market uh, type of residential brokerage, about 110 markets. United Country Real Estate, a legacy brand, 90 years old, largest seller of uh, rural and lifestyle real estate in the United States, Um, over 500 offices in mostly C&D counties that a lot of us haven't heard of. And then this is going to blow your mind, a franchise for auctioneers. We're talking fast talkers who sell stuff via accelerated methods of marketing, mostly online, which is that's funny. Franchise for auctioneers, and uh, that's where I got the bug. And uh, I love the business model. You'll find them a huge, um, I'm a huge advocate of it. It is something that is very relevant, lucrative, and um, uh, stable. Really, if you pick the right <laughs> right horse to bet on in terms of a brand to affiliate with. That's awesome. You know, it's funny because I've always been entrepreneurial and, you know, starting businesses for my whole life. And I always looked at franchising. I was like, oh, well, why spend all that money on getting into the franchise when you could just build everything yourself? And I think as I've gotten more mature, I'm kind of like, you know what? Building yourself is really hard and there's a good chance you're going to fail really bad 
So why not go with a playbook that somebody has already made successful, a name that's successful, you know, all those kind of benefits. So what, what do you kind of see as the, the core benefits of doing a franchise versus, uh, you know, just starting from scratch? Yeah, a lot of things that you said, you know, like in our franchise system, me and my business partners, we always say you by, by affiliating with us, you're not only paying for the knowledge of what works, more importantly, you're paying for the brain damage that we inflicted upon ourselves. So you don't have to do that yourself. All the mistakes, all the money we lit on fire, you know, everything, right? Um, that's also what you're paying for <laughs> to shortcut the process. And so what I love most about franchising, and I believe that if you're a first-time entrepreneur, it's a really good way to put up some guardrails. It's kind of like bowling. You know, when you go bowling with your kids and you've got the, the, the things yeah, that yeah, go yeah. up in the gutters, it's kind of like that, you know, the ball's still going to go down, not a guarantee that you're going to get a strike or even hit pins, but you're more likely going to get that ball down the alley and at least knock over a pin or two. Right. And you're not just going to go into the gutter and lose everything. <laughs> so that's kind of what I like about franchises because it does provide a, a system of a proven system. And furthermore, what I like is being, I've never been a franchisee and I'd probably be a terrible one. Could be incorrect. Maybe I will buy Following franchises the at some point. <laughs> but yeah, like I like building the system, building the infrastructure and then other people being on the vessel. But what I like about that is the other people, the whole familial aspect of it. Business ownership is tough. It is lonely. And so when you can get people that are rowing in the same direction with the same mission and the same belief system, magic can happen right? Economies of scale can happen. Impact can happen. And so that's what one of the things I think is the coolest about the model. No, and that's, that's fantastic. I think taking this yeah. job here at, at Digital Marketer kind of taught me that because we have our certified partner program and we have our mastermind. And, and prior to that, it's kind of funny because I, I became president, but I was not involved in the marketing like community at all. I was just right. going on my own, suffering through mistakes that I probably could have really easily avoided. And then now I'm very appreciative of it. I'm like, yeah, why, why go through everything yourself and why learn all the low, why reinvent the wheel essentially. So, yeah. so just for people who don't know, how, how does franchising work? You sign up for a franchise, you know, you pay, you know, whatever, 50 to 500,000, whatever the, the model is, you get the the playbook essentially. And then they help you set up the business too. Is that, is that pretty standard? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, let's talk financially first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Um, it's usually an initial franchise fee. That initial franchise fee, philosophically, the way I've been brought up in the industry is not a profit center for the franchisor. Mm -hmm. It is a value exchange to get somebody onboarded into the organization, to get them trained, get them basically making their first dollar because you have to deploy your resources off the platform, the franchisor. You may have to fly out trainers or do all those things. So we always looked at it as a value exchange, a cost recovery mechanism. And then the incentives are aligned because you will have a royalty associated with your income stream. So for example, in our uh, smoothie and supplement biz, ours is a flat 5% royalty, which is pretty low. It's a, we're lower cost, right? Uh, you will see royalty structures that maybe go all the way up to 10%, depending on the industry. Then um, really that's pretty much it. Sometimes franchisors will have rebates on the back end that they might collect from manufacturers of a computer or something like that. Right. Um, but from a franchise or from a franchisee perspective, those are, those are like two of the biggest things. Some franchises also have like a national advertising fund. So you might have like one or 2% that you contribute there. Um, 
really may have some other ancillary fees and things like that. But the biggest thing is the royalty stream. Royalty stream comes back to the franchisor and theoretically they're reinvesting that to make the system better, right? Uh, not all franchisors think that way. Some take yeah. the money off the table. Uh, philosophically, I always like to reinvest and continue to get bigger <laughs> and find find amazing people that uh, want to join the join the franchise. So that's kind of how it works. Um, and it's it's not complicated. Like incentives are aligned. When theoretically, if you picked a great franchisee, they're going to contribute to the enterprise value and rise and uh, all boats rise. And so that's what you want to do is you want to try to award franchises to the very uh, best, most qualified and culturally aligned mm. franchisees as well. I, I love that. Well, I love that. You know, it's not just you, that you take everybody who wants to be part of the franchise. They have to be qualified. And it, it's kind of funny because it reminds me of uh, the founder, you know, the, the McDonald's oh, yeah, story. Absolutely. And, 100%. And he totally realized that. He said, hey, I know the people who are going to run this well and they're family people and they have kids and, you know, it's usually a couple that's doing it yeah. and so on and so forth. And yeah. Chick-fil-A actually think has a similar model where they're like, I think they make you actually work in another franchise for from the, the bottom level up. And I was like, yes. oh, that's awesome. I, I have on the books a Chick-fil-A franchisee on the books okay. that's going to be on our show. But I already know his playbook because he owns it in my local community. Mm -hmm. And I remember him telling me, he's like, I was somewhere near the border. Like, you know, and he was, he's from Kansas City where we are. He was somewhere, I think he was in Arizona, wearing a cow suit, just melting, right? And he's asking, he's asking his God, he's like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? <laughs> are you kidding me? I'm away from my family. And then the phone rings and they gave him an opportunity to open one in his hometown. Wow. So, but he had, he did the work. Like you can't just go buy a Chick-fil-A franchise. You have to earn it. Yep. You have to earn it. You have to earn it. Well, I, I love that because it, you know, well, the best franchises are like that. And you, you do see bad franchises out there too, where you're like, man, this mm -hmm. thing, well, I hate to say it, but I dealt with one recently where we hired a cleaning company. And it was kind of like, they're not cleaning anything. Like what's going on. And then we had to talk to the franchise owner. And then we had to talk to, you know, all these different people. I'm like, who's actually doing the work here. So I, I think that's a good thing people realize, though, is that there are good franchises and there are less good franchises. And so for people thinking about it, how do you kind of how can someone who goes to, say, one of those franchise fairs where they just have all the booths, um, how do you know which ones are good? That's tough, man, because there are so many choices. I mean, there really, really are, you know, and if you think about buying a business opportunity, I'm going to say it's more significant than buying your home. Oh, I'm just going to say. More. That's the most, that's the biggest, it may not be the most expensive purchase you make. Chances are it's probably not more than your house, depending on what the franchise is, but it is dramatically more impactful in your life. It is a bigger financial decision, more since so just the initial capital outlay. And so my advice is talk, to, like, first of all, find something you're interested in. You know, like for me, there's a lot of industries that'd be a heck no, because I have no interest to be involved in those industries. I'm not curious about them. I don't care. So find something that's in alignment with you as a person. You don't have to love the business. Chances are you're going to buy multiple of these, have an operator who's going to be doing it, and hopefully ascend to just being an owner. That's step one. Step two, look at macroeconomic conditions and things like that. If you're a futurist, think about what the world could look like in a decade, because some of these some of these franchises are 10-year agreements. Some of them are, in wow. some cases, 20, 30 years. Scary, a lot can change. And then the third thing is, once you pick some, 
the, the best thing to do is go talk to existing franchisees mm. as many as possible. And that's part of the process when you're evaluating investing in a franchise. It's called a validation calls. But you don't want to just call the ones that the franchisee gives you or franchisor gives you. You want to also call the ones that maybe are not their top performers and be like, hey, what, what is about your relationship with your, with your franchisor that maybe isn't working out? Mm-hmm. And just do your due diligence just like you would buying any other business. I mean, you just do the best that you can. And there are no guarantees. Business, there's not guarantees. But you can reduce the risk by just doing your research just like any other business. That makes sense. Well, and for yeah. people who haven't bought a business before, it's hard. Actually, it's hard to yeah. sell a business too. It's a ton of work. The due diligence. A lot harder is... to sell a business than buy one. I, oh, I, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like... I guess it depends how much you're giving away, I would say. That's true. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, I, if you're selling the majority of it, though, it's, uh, it's a, long, you know, a lot of due diligence, right? It's really tricky. Well, and I love the advice to actually talk to people who they don't advise you to talk to, because really you could yeah. do a quick, you know, uh, Google Maps search and be like, hey, this one has mm-hmm. two stars. How's it going, buddy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll get a different yeah. answer. Absolutely. You'll get different answers. Hey, everyone. I want to quickly interrupt the podcast for a special announcement. If you're listening to this podcast because you want to become a better marketer, then I want to share with you what I believe to be the most comprehensive digital marketing program on the market today. It's called the Digital Marketing Mastery Certification. You'll learn to leverage the tools and channels to predictably and profitably drive awareness, leads, sales, and referrals. Everything you need to know to become a true master of digital marketing. We'll take an in-depth look at the core digital marketing competencies, including content, email, social media, community, digital advertising, data and optimization, and more. After earning your Digital Marketing Strategist Certificate, you'll have the tools to effectively reach your target audience through a full-scope marketing strategy. Get started today at digitalmarketing.com slash strategy cert. So, yeah. so I, in that regards, let's say that you do sign up for the wrong franchise. You're like, you know what? This isn't, it turns out I'm not interested in scooping ice cream. It's terrible. Right. I'm cold all the time. It's horrible. Uh, what's the process for saying... Well, let's say it's not going well. Uh, how do people exit? Or let's say it is going well, but you just don't like it. How do they exit that yeah. way? It can be messy and it depends on the franchise. It depends on the franchise or like hmm. when it comes to our system, we're small, we're family owned. I've got a business partner. Like we're real cool to work with and we will work with you and we will probably give more than others because we care some of these bigger ones, if you're PE owned, some of them have a no shutdown type of rule. And so they're going to try and find a new operator for that location, right? So that they're, uh, so they can continue to have good, good metrics. Um, and then you'll find everything in between. Typically what will happen is you will find somebody else within the system who's interested in that asset. And it could even be in a different market, right? But they, somebody who, sees it as, an, you know, maybe somebody has a death in a family. Like that's a very common thing. Divorce. These are other things that end up disrupting a franchise agreement. And we've 90%. seen these things happen. Deaths, divorces, all those things. You just have to work with your franchisor to figure out what they'll do and what they will not do. And a lot of that is dependent upon the, the who they're owned by. Mm. I'll be honest with you. If they're and the size of the organization, you know, if it's a big organization, a, a well-known brand, let's use Subway, they're just shutting some of them down. It's healthy for them too. Yeah. Pull the herd. Okay. We'll let you out. You might still be on the hook for your tenant 
uh, for your for your for your landlord agreement, right? But we'll let you out of this agreement because we agree you're not a good steward of the the brand or whatever. We've reached the end, so there's no black and white answer, and a lot of it depends on the system. And also, if you're like cool, because if you're a pain in the butt franchisee, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> you're like, hey, I'm out, right? Or my business is terrible, and oh, you guys, God, it's all your God. fault. We're not going to be as inclined to be as helpful to somebody who's like, man, you know what? We tried a performance improvement process. It didn't work. We tried for six months in collaboration together, Z and Zor together, didn't work. Okay, let's figure out how we amicably get out of this. Hmm. You're going to be in a lot better position to negotiate leaving with some dignity and maybe not bankrupt or, you know, cash depleted. So Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So little trickier question. When you are, say, somebody's interested in your franchise, they say, I'm interested. Is the person who has a lot of uh, small business experience, like they've built businesses before or tried to build businesses, are they a better prospect for a franchise or the person who's never done anything and wants to get into small business? Yes to both. Really? Because that's I don't think that's a determining factor. What I think is a determining hmm. factor is your personality type. I think your personality type, if you're somebody who likes to follow processes versus bend them or create them, you <laughs> might be a good friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's why I'm like, I would be a terrible, terrible franchisee because I go outside the lines. I've done it my entire life, right? I'm not going to fit into a playbook and be, I'm, I'm probably just not. You're probably going to, I'm probably going to go off the playbook and you're going to be frustrated with me. So I'm probably not good. You could have a different Kevin who is more, less visionary, more operationally minded, an operator who will come in and be like, oh, cool. The playbook's here. I just need to get it up and going and then move to the next one and get it up and going. So I think it's more of a, of a personality type. And then furthermore, um, if you're looking at just having one location, which nobody really makes a ton of bank off of one, like you want to have a portfolio of, of these mm -hmm. locations, you know, that's how you really make money as a, as a franchisee is you have a, a family of them. You've got a portfolio mm. of, of assets, typically under the same brand. So um, you're kind of figuring out, there's not a lot of black and white answers here. Even though we're no. a highly regulated industry, you know, we're regulated but by the FTC, but still black. It's still just like other business. It's not black and white. No, but there's sense. less gray. I will say there's less gray. No, less gray than starting a business from scratch yeah. where it's like, yeah. you know, I think I always think it's hilarious when you see stuff online. It's like, get ready to start your business. Let's form an mm -hmm. LLC. And I'm like, no, go make for money. Business. See if you can yeah. make money. <laughs> Step one. Yes. Money. Let's go get our business cards. <laughs> oh God. Or design the brand. That's what I was doing. Everybody's like, yeah. oh, well, I paid you to design the brand. And it's not making money. I'm like, that's not the same process. <laughs> <laughs> It's building a thing. Yeah, I yeah, know. It's like actually building something, right? So how do you kind of get the, uh, say, set those expectations? Like, hey, you know, because a lot of people think they're going to get in the franchise. Oh, I'm going to be a millionaire next year. And mm -hmm. a lot of times it's a year, two years, three years down the line where they actually start making a profit. Um, how do you gauge people's uh, patience with that process? Because I think there's a lot of uh, misconceptions about how to grow a business. Let's talk about two different audiences. So from a, let's say you've got a, let's say you've got an amazing business and you're thinking of going from one to one to one to many. That point of, hey, like I think I've got, and I always use a bakery as an example. I'm like, hey, I make amazing cookies and these are, um, they're like the best cookies on the planet. We've got something. Cool. Number one thing. The number one thing that I look at is, is that is that person's personality type. Mm. 
Are you the type of person who wants to champion other people? Because you're going to go from a technician making cookies to a cheerleader, a counselor, a problem solver for people's businesses. And so it's serious. It's way more serious than making sure somebody gets to do a sticker doodle. Hmm. It's legit. They're putting things on the line and they're saying, hey, I'm probably going to invest six figures in your business system and you're my support person, my team, my brand. So I want to make sure that the DNA of that person, they're ready to flip that philosophical cap from going from, hey, I'm making stuff and I'm the entrepreneur making stuff to, hey, whoop, I've made it and other people are using it. I'm still making it and I'm still making it better, but I got to champion these other people. I've got to make that, per I've got to make that identity shift. Mm. Not everybody can do it. And I've seen systems crash and burn for that very reason. From a franchise e-perspective, very similar thing. A lot of it comes mm. down to personality. Like personality plays such a pivotal role in this whole thing that we've started weaving it into like all of our intake stuff. Like we want to know what makes people tick. Most of my clients are using personality profiles. We know what makes you tick. And if you're a good fit, if you're a good fit for a Z or a good fit to be a Zor, whatever it is, because both of those are new businesses that you're starting. The, mm -hmm. the start of a franchise system is a startup. You form a new business. It's got a new way of doing business than your core business. Same thing if you go buy a franchise. You go buy and you're starting a new business and you got to go and you got to build it, but you have the kit. You've got all the tools. You've got the framework. You got the brand. You got all that stuff. So it's a, it's a complex and dynamic industry that looks pretty simple on the outside. People are like, oh, a business in a box. Oh, yeah. But you got to build the box. Plug it in. Yeah. yeah. It's, not, it's not just plug and play. You got to work. You got to do the no, work. Well, I love the idea of, of switching the hats because I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with because they don't realize the the process of management where it's like, no, you are not the person doing everything. Actually, you yeah. can't do everything. It's super no. detrimental if you try to do everything. And that is uh, something that a lot of people, once you face it, you, you realize like, okay, am I one? Am I a trusting person? Can I trust somebody else after I train them to go do this thing? Or am I neurotic and I'm going to micromanage and you know make them feel like crap because I don't actually trust them in the first place? Uh, it's a skill set. So I could totally see how the personality would have a, a big factor on it. You know, yeah, I was actually big. just watching uh, Aviator with my son, uh, Declan, and I was going through like, I, I hadn't watched it in a while and I was looking at Howard Hughes and his process that they portray. I'm like, this guy's a maniac. Like, how could somebody who is already rich be like, you know what? We're throwing it all into a movie. And then I'm going to pivot that into an aviation airline company. I'm like, this guy's a maniac. Like, there's no. Yeah, no. he was insane. Insanely <laughs> was, brilliant, right? And insanely it was, insane. I mean, all like the above. invented airplanes. I'm like, wow, you know, that's a person. But that would be a very bad franchise owner because he would take your playbook and just nightmare. rip it to shreds just and have no it. yeah no that's that's not the, you would take your right your operations manual which is the core you know it's 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 your bible it's yeah. execution there it's the playbook go. it's it's a it's the core foundation everything's in there and just rip it up and light it on fire oh yeah <laughs> that's and what, then that's be, what be happy, happy about it just yeah like, be like you know what that was a like great watch idea, this but it's on fire <laughs> yeah yeah. You know, one of the things I want to leave, you know, I, I know we're kind of, I don't know what our timestamp is. I actually don't care, but Yale School of Management came out with a white paper. This is not it. This is an older one, but they came out with a white paper in I think it was April of this year. And it was a case for exploring franchise ownership as post MBA uh, path 
And it's an Ivy League school saying to their students, hey, this may be a, a path for you. So think about that. You go drop mid six figures on your education at Ivy League school and they're saying, hey, maybe you should buy a McDonald's or a portfolio of Arby's or whatever, right? Whatever it is, whatever that biz in a box is. I thought that was pretty profound research um, because, you know, there's this dichotomy. I have a lot of startup friends. I did a lot of startup investing, you know, back in the early 2010s. And in that circle, people are like, hey, people who buy a franchise aren't entrepreneurs. Dichotomy. And I'm like, actually, no. Not only are they entrepreneurs. They're just smart. <laughs> and they're probably freaking way smarter than we are. Because oh, they're shortcutting the so process. And if they can lay one up and then stack another one on top, it's just like building a portfolio of rental houses or people that, you know, build a snowball. And then you look back in 20 years and next thing you know, they're building huge corporate offices to manage their 600 franchises. No, and okay, that's well, awesome. You, you know, I think it's a transition and I'm actually seeing this in all aspects of business. People transitioning from this kind of like really short, time frames like because when I was in school I was in high school and it was during uh right around the dot-com boom uh I graduated and so I was like man all I need to do is make a tech startup and then I take it public and then I sell my shares and then I'm super rich and blah 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 but it was always this get rich quick get rich quick get rich quick and then you have people who have been trying to do that for a million years they've been doing it for 20 years and it's like it's not working out you need to stop thinking of tomorrow and maybe you have to run a franchise for five years to figure out how business works and that's fine are you making money yeah okay you're doing good now you could just do it again and now you can start your own franchise and blah 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 uh but i do think people are starting to transition and that that yale report makes so much sense because it's like no you don't have to invent the next whatever apple or nike yeah. or whatever it's like no you you were completely unqualified. You have no idea what you're doing. You have no experience doing what you think you like. And you don't even know if you're going to like it because you haven't done it before. So look into franchises. So I yeah. I'm completely support that. Yeah. I think one of the, I, I think we have kind of this epidemic of, particularly in the digital marketing space, you know, space that you and I play in, you've owned an agency, I've owned multiple. It's like we, in no other industry, do people just think, oh, all of a sudden I'm going to come out and just start making six figures, maybe seven figures, like right out of the gate. No other industry. I don't yeah. care what it is. But for some reason in our industry, and maybe it's because we're all marketers sharing stuff with each other, you see these grandiose numbers and all that. But I think that that is the perception. And so, uh, and as, as digital marketing starts to bleed over into franchising and you start seeing the lines get blurred and more, it, it, it's starting to seep in over there. You know, I've got a lot of uh, young people that think, you know, I say young, maybe mid-20s that, um, first of all, are buying franchises, which I think is amazing, like amazing. We weren't doing that when I was in my mid-20s. That was just not something you did. But, um, but then their expectation is to go, go, go. Like, let's get one open. Cool. Now, what's next? What's next? Let's build a portfolio. And directionally, that's the way you need to go. But the expectation that you're just going to start cranking out cash, you know, in like the first 12 months, I think, I think that that's just something that people need to be a little bit more real about. Yeah. You know? That's an investment. Well, you know, it's sometimes people are like, okay, I'm going to, you know, not make money for a certain amount of time, but when you are doing it from scratch, like maybe you don't even have a product like, or maybe you have one mm -hmm. product, but you don't have the actual operation for selling it. Uh, then it's going to take way longer than 12 months. So if you said to me, yeah. like, hey, this franchise is going to take you 12 months to build, I'd be like, oh, 
sign me up. When I built my yeah. company, I did it 100% organically. It took me five years to be able to be like, okay, it's making money. And then I sold it after like that year, which was stupid because I finally made it work. <laughs> but <laughs> that's what we do. That's what we do, though. That's what uh, entrepreneurs do. You know, it's like, all right, build a race car. Let's oh, sell it. And, and let's go <laughs> and build another race car. You know, uh, but for smart people out there or people who aren't crazy, they could just get a franchise, learn some stuff, find out if you actually like doing this and then you could do it yourself if you want. But, you know, I, I, I know tons of people who have like 50 Taco Bells and you're like, oh, yeah. why are you so rich? I own Taco Bells. And you're like, OK, what? <laughs> yeah, it's boring as hell. And guess what? It's predictable. Taco Bell's a great brand. that's globally recognized. You didn't have to spend billions of dollars like they did. You just get to piggyback on their work. Yep. No, the playbook it's, uh, rates repeat, roll over your profits into more profits and or more um, you know, locations, or whatever. And then, you know, over a career, you got a portfolio that's worth something to somebody and also throws off cash to, you know, fund a fun life or fund a fun oh, life. Yeah. So yeah, well, and, and you don't have a job. You know, and that's really that's really what most entrepreneurs want. They just don't want a job. And that's and this is a a way to that. And actually, you know, you you heard my big AI speech and how I think everything's going to change. (laughs) But uh, one of the things I think is going to happen is that as ad costs start to increase, people are going to have to start going back from being like on their own to being part of these communities. And and really, a franchise is a community. So Mm -hmm. if you don't want to get a job. If you don't want to go have to join a big organization, you could just go to franchise. They have the advertising dollars. They know what they're doing. They, you know, have a plan and you'll be part of a system, but you'll still be, a, uh, you're still an entrepreneur. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. Franchise yeah, owners are entrepreneurs. It's hard and it's part of the same process. So yep. uh, I think that's yep. an awesome Amen. option. Absolutely. 100%. You and I are aligned on that. And I like it too, because not a lot of people are. No, well, they hard. will be. They'll learn yeah. painfully. Hey. <laughs> have them operate a franchise. Like we, we had a store we, we got to take over um, through for a small period of time. And like our first week, employees didn't show up and stuff. And my business partner's ringing up the cash register, trying to figure out how to make smoothies. And I was in Florida on vacation when this happened. <laughs> and like, it was hard work. Oh. It was, it's humbling. It's humbling to go in and it operate is. your own franchise for a little bit. I don't care how senior you are, what you've done in the world. Go and work in your business for a little bit and be like wow that is not simple yeah this is this is well I'll just watch uh what was it undercover boss like yeah. i didn't realize blah, blah blah and they're all getting reamed on the job because they mm-hmm. all suck and you're like yeah, yeah how would you be good at this you never even operate so i yep. think for for every level whether you want to be a top level executive or whatever like it's still very useful to to go through the entire process and i think it's going to be i think it's going to grow in popularity over the next two years like huge so i'm excited to I see what, what you do i appreciate it man awesome well this has been great kevin uh i think we'll definitely have to have you back on the show talk about some of the agency stuff that you've been through and, and just the process of making a franchise because just personally i was like man I really want a good donut coffee shop and I'm sick of Starbucks. So somebody needs to do that and nobody's doing it. So maybe it'll be me in the next few years. Do you have Hertz donuts in Texas? No, we don't have crap. We have, we have like, they don't even know how to make donuts. Like, and I actually have a donut blog. So that's why I always default to donuts. You You have a donut blog? Yeah, that's called you don't know.com. It's uh that's awesome. We'll, have to, talk, donuts we'll have to talk about donuts when you get off here. Like, whole different topic. I totally like this has been awesome. This has been awesome. I appreciate you having me on the show.
Well, thank you so much, Kevin. I think it's been, you know, I love hearing the insights. I love, you know, just kind of the the frank discussions because a lot of people tend to, you know, tiptoe around issues, especially if it's their core business and you seem extremely open to it. So definitely going to have you back on. Uh, In the meantime, where can people learn more about you and your franchises? Uh, Best place is just go to Kevin Oldham, O-L-D-H-A-M dot live because somebody has the dot com and it's super annoying. So there you go. Kevin Oldham dot live. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. This has been a blast. And uh, again, we'll have you on again soon to talk about more fun stuff. Sounds great. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to hit that follow button so you get notified when all of our new episodes release. Please share this with that friend who's clueless about digital marketing. And don't forget to visit digitalmarketer.com where you can access all of our courses, certifications, and training programs. Thanks again, everyone. And we'll see you next time. This is Digital Marketer. Get ready for the two easiest ways for you to generate product photos for your e-commerce store. I'm Lauren Petrullo, founder and CEO of Mongoose Media and Digital Marketer Academy faculty member. I've managed over 50,000 SKUs for over 100 different e-commerce sites, and I cannot tell you the importance of quality product photos. Not only are they important for your website, but they're great to be repurposed in your email marketing campaigns, your paid ad initiatives, and your organic social media content. It's imperative that you have great photos because great photos sell your products and start conversations with your consumers. There are two great solutions when seeking out quality product photos for your e-commerce site. One, UGC. We know that native user-generated content wins all day on social. When you can get your customers to share back their use of your products in their voice, in their personal applications, you will see dividends when that is repurposed in your paid ads and organic social feeds. Secondly, don't have customers or UGC yet? Not a problem. There are cost-effective solutions in which you can outsource that photography. This and so much more is covered in my modules in our e-commerce cert with Digital Marketer.